beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. In the first three petitions of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus focuses our attention on God's kingdom priorities. While by nature we're inclined to seek our own honor and glory, the first petition teaches us to direct our whole life so that God's name may be honored and praised. While by nature our inclination is to build our own little kingdoms on earth, the second petition teaches us to seek the coming of God's kingdom. The same applies to the third petition, which we deal with this afternoon. Jesus taught us to pray, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. By nature, we are inclined to do what we want. For a few generations already, our culture has been preaching a message of self-determination. You're in control of your own life. You can make your own decisions in life. Do what you want. Many have lived by this creed. Think about that song by Frank Sinatra. As he approaches the end of his life, he reflects on his journey through life. He sings, I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. But more, much more than this, I did it my way. I planned each charted course, each careful step along the byway. But more, much more than this, I did it my way. The refrain comes back again and again in this song. I did it my way. It's reflected in the title of this song, My Way. And beloved, there's a real temptation for us living in Western culture to adopt this mantra, for me to live life my way. But Jesus teaches us something very different in the Lord's Prayer. He teaches us to pray to God, our Father in heaven, and to plead, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Note that this is part of our daily prayer. It's something that we lay before the throne of grace. We need help in this. It goes against our human nature. It goes against the culture of our day to deny our own will and to do what God teaches us in His Holy Word. I preach you God's Word under the following theme. Christ teaches us to pray that we might do God's will. We are praying for submission to our Father's will, and we're praying in light of Christ's submission to His Father's will. What is God's will for your life? Something we often struggle with. Life in the 21st century is filled with so many decisions. We face the big questions of life. What kind of job or career do I want? Where should I go to school? Should I stay in my present job or should I look for something else? Where should I live? Should I get married? Who should I marry? Is it time to buy a house? When should I retire and what should I do in retirement? What should I be doing with the rest of my life and with whom should I be doing it? 
We also face many other decisions that we need to make from day to day. Should I play a certain sport? Or should I devote more energy to the development of my other gifts? Should I work an extra shift? Or do I need time to study for exams? How should I serve in my local church and community? Where should I spend my money? How much should I give away? And for what? On what should I spend my leisure time? How much screen time should I allow myself? How do you make decisions about all these things, beloved? You're making decisions about the big and the little things of life. How do you know what God's will is? Do you consider God in your decision-making? Or do you just go with the flow and do what makes you feel good? For many people, talking about the will of God is confusing. Sometimes we talk about all things happening according to the will of God, or about trying to find out what God's will is for our lives. And other times we talk about being obedient to doing the will of God. We use that phrase, the will of God, in two different ways. When we look at the Bible, we see that God's will has two sides to it. We can talk about God's hidden will. You could also call it God's sovereign will. It refers to what God has ordained, to God's plan for our lives. In Psalm 139, David confesses, All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. In Acts 4, the apostles confess that Herod and Pilate and the Gentiles and Jews were all gathered together against Jesus to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The apostles are confessing that Christ's crucifixion and death were according to the foreknowledge and the plan of God. God has a plan for this world. He has a plan for each of our lives. From before the foundation of this world, God has chosen His people unto salvation. He has recorded the names of His children in the book of life. Jesus talks about how the hairs of our head are all numbered, and how not one of them will fall to the ground without our Father's will. We see God has a plan for the big and the little things of our lives. We sometimes seek direction or want to better, to better understand God's plan for our lives. But what exactly this plan is, we don't know. God has not revealed this to us. The Bible also speaks about the will of God in another way. We refer to it as God's revealed will. When we talk about God's will in this way, we mean what God wants us to do. In Matthew 7, 21, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Here, doing God's will is a reference to obeying his commands. It's clear from Hebrews 13, 20 to 21, where the writer prays that God may equip you with everything good, that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. 
It is in the Bible that God makes known his revealed will. Through his commands, he teaches us a standard for godly living so we can live our lives to God's glory. In the third petition, Christ teaches us to pray to our Father in heaven, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In this petition, the focus is not on God's hidden will, on his plan for our lives. Instead, the focus is on his revealed will, on the laws and the commandments given in the Bible for how we should live. The second part of the petition makes the first part clear. We pray that God's will may be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, who is in heaven, and how do they do God's will? Heaven is God's dwelling place, but he's not there alone. Around God are myriads of angels. The Bible teaches us that the angels in heaven are ever praising God. When he gives them a command, they fulfill it perfectly. In Psalm 103, the psalmist writes about how God's angels obey the voice of his word, that they are his ministers who do his will. Our catechism explains that in the third petition, we're asking God that we may carry out the duties of our office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. You would think that as Christians, as those redeemed by Christ's blood and renewed by His Spirit, we would obey God's commands and live our lives according to God's will. But often, we don't. It's not that we don't want to do God's will by living our lives according to God's commands. The problem is that there are times when we want something else more. We may desire to do what is right, yet we struggle with the sinful desires of the flesh. You see, beloved, we're not like the angels in heaven. We are fallen creatures. <coughs> By nature, we're inclined against God's will. As a Reformed church, we confess the total depravity of mankind. Many people in society today think that they are basically good. But the Bible teaches something different. In Ephesians 2, Paul describes our sinful will. He explains that our desire is to gratify the cravings of our sinful nature, to follow its desires and thoughts. In Romans 7, Paul writes about the struggles that he as a redeemed child of God faced with his sinful nature. He wrote, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Doing the will of God is hard. At times we all struggle with this. A single person who longs for a life's partner will sometimes meet someone attractive a warm-hearted, caring, considerate, fun-loving person who seems ideally suited as a marriage partner. There's only one snag. That person is not a Christian. And we know that God teaches us not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So what do you do? 
Well, your brain tells you it's wrong. Don't do it. But your heart pulls strongly in the other direction. You're lonely. You feel like you deserve some happiness in life. Why not just go ahead with the relationship? Does God really mind that much? We live in a world that's all about self-gratification. The world teaches us, if it feels good, do it. If you want to have sex, go for it. If you want something, get it. If you haven't got the money, just borrow it. In today's world, people do what they want, when they want, because they want to do it. There is little recognition that God has a claim on our lives, that God has set standards for how we are to live. People are not really interested in doing God's will, for that means that they have to deny themselves what they want. Also for us, as God's children, it can be a real struggle. Through God's grace in Christ, we've been set free from the power of sin and of the devil. And yet our sinful flesh clings to us. The temptation is there for us to conform our lives to the ways of the world instead of being transformed by the renewing of our minds. For often the ways of the world appear to be fun. Sin attracts us because it promises pleasure. There's only one way we can prevail in our struggle against sin. It is by praying. In the third petition, Jesus teaches us to pray that we may do God's will and not follow our own stubborn, sinful will. In the battle of wills, we're asking God to help us reject our sinful desires. Our catechism explains, grant that we and all men may deny our own will and without any murmuring obey your will, for it alone is good. We're praying for submission to the Father's will. Submission to our Father's will is difficult. There's times in life when we feel like we're caught between a rock and a hard place. It seems that doing God's will is often like paddling upstream against a strong current. And the alternative can be so enticing. We think that if we do what we want, we'll be happy. Do you really believe that, beloved? Do you really think that what the world's got to offer is really that attractive? Do you find that the people around you in this world are content? Do they have peace in their hearts? Have they got any kind of hope for the future? If you get an inside look in the lives of many in our society, you'll see they're always striving, but never happy. They're searching for success in career and business life. But one job promotion makes them desire the next. Earning their first million wants, makes them want more. When they're unsatisfied in one relationship, they move on to the next. They're always searching for success, for happiness, for love. But because they don't have Christ in their lives, they'll never be content. 
Please consider, beloved, how rich you are. You have a wonderful Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. He has given his life to redeem you from your sins and misery. With his blood, he has purchased you as his own possession. Our reading from Titus 2 makes this clear. Paul writes about how the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. Paul speaks about how Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people who are zealous for good deeds. Christ came to redeem us from our sins and misery. He also gave his spirit to renew us in his ways. Our reading from Titus 2 emphasizes the connection between our justification and our sanctification. If we understand God's grace in forgiving our sins, we'll also see the need to show our thankfulness for this in how we live our lives. We're to reject all ungodliness and worldly passions. Instead of living out of control lives, governed by our sinful passions, we're to live godly and self-controlled lives. Paul tells us we are to be zealous for good deeds. You see, beloved, because of his great love for you, God has given you norms by which to live your lives. He has given us his commandments for our good always. And the Lord has promised to bless those who heed his commands. As the psalmist says in Psalm 128, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. True joy and contentment comes not from doing it my way, but from doing the will of God. It brings us to our second point, and it will see that we are to pray the third petition in light of Christ's submission to his Father's will. The focus of the third petition is on praying that we may submit our will to God's will. To give us encouragement in this, it's helpful to see how Christ submitted himself to the Father's will. John 4, John 4 tells us about Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well as his disciples went into town to buy bread. When they came back, they were surprised to see Jesus talking with this woman. When she left to call the townspeople to come and see Christ, the disciples encouraged Jesus to eat. In response, he told them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The disciples did not immediately understand what Jesus meant by these words. Yet the Lord Jesus went on to explain that the fields were white for harvest. Here Jesus is talking about his purpose in coming into this world. It was to redeem a people for himself unto eternal life. I'm sure that Jesus was hungry and that he needed food. But at that moment, he was focused on something else. He was focused on the mission he came to earth to accomplish. He was focused on doing God's will. 
Just like for us, submitting to his Father's will was not always easy for the Lord Jesus. It's evident in our reading from Matthew 26. Jesus had come to the end of his life. On the final night, before he was delivered into the hands of sinful men, Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. Our Lord faced a huge struggle. He knew that God, his Father, had sent him into this world to offer his life on the cross for our sins. Yet doing his Father's will was difficult. It caused Jesus great sorrow. For Jesus knew that God was calling him to drink the cup of suffering. From the scriptures, Jesus knew what was in store for him. He knew that one of his own disciples would betray him with a kiss. He knew that the rest of the disciples would desert him. He knew that the Jewish leaders would falsely accuse him. And that the crowds who had recently welcomed him to Jerusalem with loud hosannas would cry out for Pilate to crucify him. Jesus knew he would be badly beaten and that he would ultimately be crucified. He'd be stripped naked. He'd have his hands and his feet nailed to the cross, despised and rejected by men and forsaken by God. For Jesus, that was the worst thing. To be separated from God's loving embrace. To have God hand him over into Satan's hands. To suffer the torments of hell. To have God's severe wrath poured out on him. So he could pay the price for our sins. Jesus looked against it. He prayed, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Luke tells us that Jesus was in such agony that he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling on the ground. Yet each time he prayed, Jesus said, Your will be done. Despite facing the most horrific death anyone has ever faced, Jesus was willing to drink the cup of suffering. He denied what he wanted to do what his father commanded. He submitted himself to God. He was obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus suffered and died to pay the price for our sins to make us right with God, to restore us to fellowship with Him again. Beloved, what's your response to the love your Savior has shown you? Do you see the suffering He was willing to endure for your sake? The price He paid for your sins? Does it touch your heart, beloved? Does it make you thankful for God's grace? If so, how does that show in your life? Are you willing to submit yourself to God's holy commandments? To deny what you want and obey God's will? Hebrews 5 says that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. 
And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Out of thankfulness for Christ's saving work, God calls us to deny our own will and obey his commands. Hebrews 12, 14 warns that without holiness, no one will see the Lord. We began the sermon by talking about how our culture preaches a message of self-determination. It teaches you're in control of your own life. You can make your own decisions in life. Do what you want to do. Frank Sinatra's song, My Way, epitomizes this approach to life. As he lived his life and charted his course, he was proud of this fact. I did it. My way. Beloved, that kind of life is a pathway to ruin and destruction. It's a pathway that will ultimately bring you to hell, to eternal separation from God. Instead, may we ponder on the pathway chosen by our Savior, Jesus Christ. He prayed, not my will, but your will be done. May that encourage us in our walk with God. When faced with the temptations of this world and of our sinful flesh, may we turn to our Heavenly Father in prayer. May we pray for God to help us deny our own will and to submit to His holy will. Pray for the Spirit to help you live self-controlled, and godly lives. For it's in this way that you'll be truly blessed by God. It's in this way that we will be enabled to live joyfully with Him, now and forevermore. Amen.